Hello and welcome to the Around the Nation podcast. For the week of Monday, October 14th, 2013, I'm Pat Coleman. And I'm Keith McMillan. And it's it's the middle of the uh, 2013 Division Three football regular season, week six. We had five weeks before, we have five weeks after, and uh, Selection Sunday seems to be looming down at us, but not too fast because, remember, we have three weeks of games in November this year because of the uh, late start to the season or the late Thanksgiving or however you want to go about it. But regardless... We had uh, we had actually a conference champion crowned on Saturday, and uh, not that an automatic bid went along with it, and we had a bunch of conference races that got a heck of a lot more interesting, uh, spanning uh, from New Jersey all the way out to Southern California, and I think it's uh, just uh, good to dive into some of those. Uh, you might want to just uh, start with the start with the late game, the one in which Redlands held off Cal Lutheran and uh, and kept itself in the multiple way tie for first place in the uh, in the Skyac. Obviously, even though uh Redlands is tied for first in the conference at just 2 and 0 and uh with uh, two other teams, this does put Redlands in the driver's seat I think in most people's opinions. Yeah, I imagine it would be uh, in our opinion as well, Pat, cuz you you just we've never seen this group of three teams at the top of the uh, of the conference at this part of the season, the group at the top of the Skyac right now is uh, Chapman, Laverne, and Redlands. Laverne would be a surprise. Chapman is a team that's had some winning seasons, but we haven't seen them beat the the top teams in the conference, which for the past couple of years has been Redlands, Cal Lutheran, and before that, Occidental was in that group. I think I really thought um, Redlands and Cal Lutheran, by virtue of playing Linfield and Pacific Lutheran and um, Mary Harden Baylor and Pacific Lutheran, were testing themselves to, to be able to sort of run through the conference. And I don't know uh, if this means, you know, Redlands now is, is the, t- I mean, they clearly are the team to beat, but, uh, but, but are they going to be far and away the, uh, the best team in the conference? We'll know in, uh, you know, two weeks from now, because the next two teams that, uh, that the Bulldogs play are Laverne at home and they go to Chapman the week after. So we'll know by the start of November whether Redlands is firmly in control of the conference race or uh, or whether we're going to have a real jumbled, fun finish here in California. And we've certainly had jumbled and fun finishes in, in California before. Uh, games that and seasons that have come down to in the uh, wee hours of the morning in week 11, it seems. Yeah, you know, we go back, uh, I guess a few years ago, there was the Occidental Whittier game that had sort of a ripple effect across... You know, not just the, the conference itself, but w- when you get down to that final week of the season, you know, one team loses, it can send another team all the way across the country into the postseason. So I, I think this is probably the point in the season here at week six where you start paying attention not only to your own conference and, and who else is, is doing what, but how the puzzle pieces start to come together playoff wise. Because, you know, if you're a team that's already lost a game and you're chasing somebody, or, or you know, you're going to be hoping for a, a, a some kind of help somewhere to get into the playoffs. You know, you're going to be, want to be aware of not just what's happening, you know, right where you are, but what's happening uh, uh, the rest of the country. When we started talking about uh, the way the NJAC kind of opened up this week, the first thing that came to mind was, of course, Morrisville State beating Rowan. But then again, you know, the the game from Friday night in which the College of New Jersey defeated Kane is just as interesting. They're both, they both kind of throw a bit of a wrench into that race. 
Yeah, I think what's interesting, you know, to me, the first thing that jumps out is that it's the second time in three weeks that TCNJ has won while only scoring seven points. If you remember uh, a few games ago, they played Southern Virginia and won seven and two. And that was one of the, you know, it's just an eye catching score when you're running down the, the group of scores on Saturday and you see 60 over here, 40 and 50 over there, 34 over here. And then you see a seven two game. But they did it again, as you mentioned, Pat, on Friday night. Uh, the weather wasn't great uh, out here in, on the East Coast. Uh, pretty much all week it was terrible, and Friday night was no exception. Um, but TCNJ went uh, up to Union and won that game 7-0, scored early in the game uh, midway through the first quarter, and then uh, and then hung on the rest of the way. And that does make that an interesting race when you couple it with the, the Morrisville State score because now the top three teams in the NJAC are Cortland State, which you, you may have expected to be in the group. But uh, but then, you know, TCNJ and Morrisville are the other two teams without a conference loss. And I don't know, you know, how much uh, how much longer we can expect, you know, those three teams to hang out at, at the top of the league. Well, an interesting thing about Morrisville State is, I mean, you remember uh, Kurt Fitzpatrick comes over and takes over that team as the head coach. And you you might expect, you know, with a, a guy with his background, you know, immediately offense becomes a little bit more of a, a priority you know they have never scored fewer than 26 points in any game this season and if you went flip the uh, page one page back to 2012 you'd find it almost exactly the opposite there's basically almost nothing and no games in 2012 in which they scored even as many as 26 points um and they've been on a roll offensively the last 3 weeks including uh, putting up the 41 against Rowan and, and beating Rowan you know, beating Rowan pretty handily on Saturday yeah, by twenty, which is you know you expect you see a result like that. That's a that's a, a program losing to a program that hasn't been known for winning. Uh, I think they've won ten games in the seven seasons they've been in D three. A bunch of one win seasons in there, and, and they're up to three wins already now this season. You know when you, when you see that, you expect it to be a lucky fluke game, and forty one twenty one is is not a fluky score at all. The other thing about Morrisville State that that really stands out is. Their early results, you know, against Hartwick and St. Lawrence, didn't didn't really catch my eye at the time. They're back in September, but now look back at those games. Hartwick is four and one. They just lost their first game of the season uh, on Saturday against St. John Fisher, a ranked team, and uh, and St. Lawrence. They haven't lost to anyone but Morrisville State, and that looked. I think I may have even made the comment on the podcast a couple weeks ago that that was sort of an out of character loss, or or it was a loss that was keeping us from taking St. St. Lawrence seriously. And now, you know, with the benefit of half the season being done now, now you say, you know, how, how many of these, uh, maybe all these teams are good or maybe they're all not that good. Well, yeah, that's true. So, uh, shifting over to St. Lawrence just for a second, uh, not that, uh, not that the, uh, Liberty league race got thrown into any big tumult this week, but, uh, you know, uh, St. Lawrence still sits there at the top of the conference, sharing that spot with Hobart, uh, that game doesn't take place until uh, until week ten, but at the very least, you know, obviously we've talked about St. Lawrence a couple times and we've written about St. Lawrence, um, but you know, again, for them now to be uh, now to be five and one and having knocked off two teams in this conference that are traditionally pretty good and traditionally in the last decade or so have been fighting for uh, the postseason in Union and RPI, that's a that's a pretty big turnaround for that program. Absolutely, and and you know what's interesting is you look. At a conference like the Liberty League, and there's like a clear favorite in Hobart, and then there's an upstart team in St. Lawrence. And you know, we mentioned the the Skyac. There's Redlands, which has been known for success, and there's Chapman and Laverne, which have not been known 
for as much success. And I think the the NJAC, which we were talking about just a second ago, falls into, I guess, both groups because it has Cortland State, which has been a playoff team, and then you have Morrisville State and TCNJ. But um, I don't know if there's a clear favorite. Can you call? I, I don't. I don't know if we can really call Cortland State the favorite. Uh, they're three and two overall. And uh, the, you know, the good thing is, just like we we mentioned in, in California, we're going to get a quick resolution or or a quick leader because TCNJ's next two games are Morrisville State and at Cortland State. So we're going to find out really quickly if TCNJ is for real, Morrisville State and, and TCNJ. This is a game we did not circle. At the beginning of the season, no. now it's a it's a game we'll we'll be paying attention to next week. The uh, yeah, if you wanted to call, if you felt like you wanted to call Cortland State the uh, the favorite, uh, you could you could do it that way by noting that they're the only ones of the traditional contenders in this conference that are still undefeated in conference games. But um, yeah, it is a a conference that certainly is uh, getting turned on its ear a little bit. And I think also too, Keith, I know this is now um, not last week's around the nation uh, columns, but the week before in which uh, the NJAC slipped you know, pretty significantly in the conference rankings, and I couldn't find any reason to argue with that. The, uh, the one-time power conference is no longer. And sometimes that happens you know, on a year-to-year cycle where you just don't have any team that's, that's cycling up while you have a bunch of teams cycling down. And uh, I mean, I guess we could count Morrisville State as cycling up from where they're from, but if you look at, at the conference standings, you know, overall... The, there's four teams at the top of this conference that are three and two overall. So they just really didn't have a, a very great non-conference season. And that happens from time to time. But but if it becomes a consistent thing with the NJAC, then I think it goes from being a, a power conference or, or one that had been, I guess, you know, among the top eight or so, you know, for most of the 90s, most of the 2000s now to one where it's, it's in the group with just the big middle group of all the other conferences. Um, conference that uh, not too far away that and where the, the teams have had obviously some uh, overlap and some interplay in the in uh, in the recent past got a bit of a, a I don't know if it's a shock necessarily on Saturday but uh, Lebanon Valley uh, coming away uh, with the win at home against uh, Lycoming the thing that I find interesting about that is as as good as um, okay well let's say as improved as Lebanon Valley has been over the last, you know, four or five years, uh, especially since uh, Jim Monos came back as head coach, um, they had never beaten anybody ranked in our poll. And you know, playing in the MAC, um, they've certainly had their opportunities because the the MAC generally has at least uh, one team ranked, and you could possibly think of two teams uh, ranked if someone's down there in the twenties range. Um, and it hadn't happened until Lebanon Valley did it on Saturday. Yeah, and it wasn't a pretty game necessarily on Saturday. Uh, Lebanon Valley won by only converting 29% of third downs, 414, and uh, only gaining 298 yards. But when you can play defense, you know, they, they uh, hold Lycoming obviously to seven points in that game. You know, if you can, if you can keep other teams off the scoreboard, um, you know, you could, you'll be in games. And, and Leb Val has kind of shown that, that they can win these uh, these slugfests this season. That's that's part of the reason why they're five and one. And so now the MAC has four teams at the top, uh, each with a loss in conference. That's Widener, Del Val, Lyco, and Leb Val. And they've all played each other except for Delaware Valley and Lebanon Valley. They haven't played yet. And that game, I believe, uh, is November second. And uh, but it, you know, it, it's I think it's just odd to be this far in the season to have and and have all these crossover results where you you just pick out any team in that group of four, Widener, 
they've they've already lost to to Lyco and beaten Lebval. You know, Lebval is beaten Lyco and and lost to. Uh, uh, I'm already lost track which one they yeah, lost. Yeah, exactly. To. Who are we talking about? <laughs> like like I mean, I mean, you know, we're talking about Delaware Lyco or Lebanon Widener, something like that. But but yeah, but anyway, so we're halfway through the season, and the top four teams in the MAC have pretty much all played each other and beaten each other, except for the two valleys. There you go. There you go. That's one way to look at it. Um, I the thing that the other thing I was struck at by what you just said is you just called a defensive struggle not a pretty game. I thought that was what you were all about. Yeah, I mean, I love defense as much as the next guy, especially if it uh, involves good pass defense. You know. Uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> Were you not no, a run support I, guy? You, you weren't a run support guy? Is that what you're saying? I mean, I think I like to watch it. I just wasn't very good at it. But, um, I, the, you know, it's it, the game has really changed a lot in the 15 years since I've played. And, and offenses are, you know, maybe steps ahead of, of, of where they were then. Even then there was, you know, spread. And you'd you'd see, you know, some of the same plays that you see now. But this is stuff that I think kids run in high school you know to go way off the board for a second I I was uh, at my son's um, flag football over the in the spring he played flag football and the kids the the flag you know like the eight ten eight to ten year old group they were they're running stuff that you'd see kids run in college they're they're motion before the snap and all that stuff so I I think it kind of speaks to how far the games come uh, offensively in uh, in the past, you know, ten or fifteen years, and when you see a seven zero score like TCNJ or a fourteen seven Lebval, you know, uh, maybe the weather was a factor, but by the same token, you know, defense is still alive and well. Other end of Pennsylvania for the President's Athletic Conference, where uh, WNJ beat Thomas Moore. WNJ uh, handing the Saints their first loss, and um, and you know. In not particularly dramatic fashion, uh, you know, kind of holding uh, holding Thomas Moore at arm's length, and then at arm plus shoulders length. At the uh, the it was twenty four fourteen at the half, and it didn't really get much better for for Thomas Moore. And Thomas Moore had just been crushing teams coming into this game. Yeah, you know, they, they had a sixty one zero win over Geneva. Uh, the week before, and that's a team that's right now in this group of five teams at the top of the pack with uh, with one conference loss. You know, if you were just to look at at, at the pack by name recognition, you'd probably say it's a three three team race. Uh, you you know, Waynesburg, Thomas Moore, W and J. You wouldn't really count Geneva and Bethany in the group, but but that upset a couple weeks ago where Bethany beat W and J now factors into this race, and, and you really can't call it. How do you how do you go from uh, losing, you know, being W and J, losing to Bethany, turn around and beat Thomas Moore. That may, that may, either Bethany's a lot better than we thought, or uh, it signals that this is going to be probably a, an, an eleven-week race in, in the pack. It, it may be one of the last conferences clinched. Waynesburg had no trouble with uh, with Grove City on Saturday. Um, you know, we mentioned that uh, Geneva's uh, Geneva just got obliterated by Thomas Moore last week. Uh, I think. Uh, Remember, it might have even been double digits of total offense. Was that that game? Was it 88 yards of total offense? Um, or even if it was 188, it was not particularly pretty. Uh, you know, it, we could stick with the name recognition. You're right, of course. Bethany has the W against W and J, uh, and the loss to Geneva. I mean, we'll know a little bit more in a couple weeks. Bethany has a bye this week, and then they go to Waynesburg. That'll help clear that up. And then uh, if they win that game, then they have. A couple of easier ones, I guess, Winsmister and Teal. And they go to Thomas Moore. 
and then they travel to St. Vincent. There's really, and you know, you talk about the teams at the top of this conference. There's teams at the bottom of the conference that are uh, are not particularly very good either. Obviously, you know, Teal and St. Vincent on Saturday. Somebody had to win. It happened to be Teal. Uh, you know, Westminster looks like they're a little bit better than that at two and three and one and two in the league, but they haven't played W and J, haven't played Waynesburg, um, and they're uh, they lost to Hiram. You know those sorts of things. Well, first off, it was the eighty-eight yard game that you uh, that you mentioned, and um, Geneva was one of eighteen on third down, zero four on fourth down in that game. So that's not that's not getting it done uh, offensively yes, at that's all. True. I think what happens in these situations, Pat, is is when you have so many teams crossing over in the conference, it makes um, every week interesting. Now that. Coaches love to say every week in this conference is a tough game, right. and that's tr- true in some conferences, and it's not as true in other conferences. I'm not naming any names, but I'm thinking right now. I'm thinking Mount Union plays, uh, you know, nine OAC games a year, and usually two of them, if that, are competitive. But but now you you know you look at a conference like the 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 pack, and it really is going to be week to week, and suddenly these games that weren't all that important become important. There is that big split, Pat, that you mentioned where, you know, St. Vincent and Teal aren't all that competitive. But I think, you know, you got Grove City and Bethany and uh, and Geneva and, you know, maybe Westminster. All those games are going to be important, not just Waynesburg, Thomas Moore and W&J. So it, it could be a lot of fun to watch. Uh, and, and, you know, we'll put the PAC, MAC and NJAC now in the category with with the OAC and Iowa where, you know, those and maybe Centennial. Uh, I guess Centennial's kind of got a clear favorite now nowadays but you know we'll put it in the group of conferences where you just from week to week you can't call it uh the one conference that you can call is the southern collegiate athletic conference of course they have just four teams they do not have an automatic bid but texas lutheran defeated austin college on saturday 45 to 12 to improve to 4 and overall 3 and 0 in the league their league schedule is done and you know we talked about this a little bit last week. Obviously, they are uh, they're in position for a NCAA tournament bid. They're unbeaten. They have five American Southwest Conference teams uh, yet to come. But, you know, if they obviously if, I, if they run the table, then they're pretty much guaranteed, as guaranteed as you can get when you're in a conference that doesn't have an automatic bid. But I think even you know in a position where they go eight and one, you kind of got to talk about them uh, as well because I don't know how many one loss teams we're going to have in that group. Yeah, I think they're they're in a good shape for a pool B bid. Uh, obviously, they have to do well in these last five games here, and I think the you know Louisiana College is probably the only one um, that I would not pick them to to you know I wouldn't I wouldn't say they're the favorite. Um, but the thing that that really plays into their hands well is right now uh, Texas Lutheran can score. You know they can they can put up points, they can gain yards. Um, you know with the, with I would say the best of them, but I guess they haven't played anybody really all that great. Trinity is probably the best team that, that they've played so far. Um, but they could put points up, and these teams that they're playing, that they're not very good defensively. Sol Ross State and Mississippi College are the next two. Louisiana College would probably be an exception to that. But then Harden-Simmons and Howard Payne, you know, these are the teams that give up yards and points. And, uh, you know, they're going to have to score with Texas Lutheran because right now that's one thing the Bulldogs are doing well. They're, they're going up and down the field on teams. Wesley had little trouble on Saturday. They defeated Virginia University of Lynchburg, which is a uh, another one of those schools that I'm not even sure if they have 
an affiliation. Um, in the MASCAC, the MASCAC is another one of those conferences that is vying for these three Pool B bids. Uh, we're going to give the big Pool B explanation here. Pool B is uh, set aside for conferences that don't have an automatic bid or the true independence. So in, talks, in terms of independence, we're talking about Wesley being the only uh, legitimate playoff candidate there. Uh, there are a handful of conferences because of some of the shifting that's gone on uh, and a couple of conference splits. Uh, so there are a couple of new conferences with teams that don't have automatic bids, uh, such as the SCAC, who we just mentioned, uh, the Southern Athletic Association, that's the SAA. They split off from the SCAC. And uh, in fact, they lost their automatic bids in every sport because they're a brand new conference. Uh, the SCAC doesn't have enough sport, uh, enough teams in football, but they have uh, AQs in other sports. Uh, the MASCAC, which is playing football, uh, playing a football championship this year for the first time, they would actually qualify for an automatic bid, except that they had to bring in some non-conference members in order to get to seven football teams. So those are Western Connecticut. Uh, Mass Dartmouth and Plymouth State. Otherwise, if they'd had one more uh, school in the conference that had football, they could have had an automatic bid this year. Uh, so they're in that group, and so, of course, is the University Athletic Association, as they have been uh, throughout and will be until they split and move into other conferences over the course of the next couple of years. So looking at the con- uh, at the teams that are in reasonable viability for those three spots for the playoffs... Uh, from the UAA, I think we're going to talk about University of Chicago and Wash U. Uh, from the SEAC, I think we're really just talking about Texas Lutheran. Nobody else has fewer than three losses. Um, in the MASCAC, I think Framingham State's in the driver's seat, and I'm not sure anybody else is in the car. Uh, in the SAA, we still got uh, a lot of games to play. Uh, Rhodes is one loss, Center is one loss, and Millsaps is unbeaten. And then, of course, uh, Wesley, I think as long as they continue to win games, and even if they lost to, say, you know, Charlotte, you know, them being a upper division school, I'm not sure that would necessarily cost them either. I think that we're looking at, I think we're going to look at uh, teams with two losses are going to be, out of that group, are going to be heavily contenders. Well, Pat, I'm glad we have you to summarize all that, that Pool B uh, explanation, because I don't know if anybody else could put it into words quite like you can. I think right now we're looking at possibly four races for for three spots in Pool B, and the real key result on Saturday was uh, was Millsaps going to Trinity and uh, winning that game, kicking a field goal with 12 seconds left, kicking off to Trinity in, in a uh, tight situation at the end of a game, and uh, and and making the tackle <laughs> on the kick, kick return. It was a 28 yard uh, kick return, so I wasn't you know I didn't see it, but I wonder if it, it got going a little bit. And, uh, and Millsaps fans had a throwback moment there, even though the game was in uh, San Antonio. But anyway, so Millsaps 5-0 and right now. They'll play Rhodes uh, at the very last uh, week of the season, November 16th. So we may be watching that game if, if things continue on the course that they're on um, with great interest, although center is also in the mix here too. They're 4-1, and Rhodes is 5-1, and Millsaps 5-0. and So I think whoever comes out of that SAA group is in good shape. And uh, you got Wesley, which, you know, kind of controls its own destiny and looks even better now with the Rowan loss. You know, we thought that might be a, a big their, their last big D3 clash. 
so you got Wesley, you got the SAA, you have Framingham State, as you mentioned, in the MASCAC, and I think the fourth one is is Texas Lutheran. I, I don't want to. I'm not trying to gloss over the UAA, but uh, but I don't know. You know, those teams haven't even played each other yet, so it, it'll be a while before we uh, before we see them in playoff contention. That's true. Here's the interesting thing out of the UAA, I guess. Um, you look at WashU. Uh, they're four and two. Obviously, you know, if you look at the fact that they struggled with Hendricks on Saturday, everybody else has seemed to struggle with Hendricks a little bit. But I think yeah. uh, WashU is the best team that Hendricks has played, uh, other than maybe Birmingham Southern. That might be a toss up the way uh, the season's gone this year. Um, so WashU's losses are to Whitewater and Co. Um, if they finish eight and two with losses to Whitewater and Co, I think they'd be in pretty good shape. That means they'll have beaten University of Chicago in the last week of the regular season. You know who knows? Obviously, University of Chicago could be a sub five hundred team by then, but right now that's a key result. I think that uh, WashU, at the very least, if they went out, has to be considered a contender at, at eight and two. But yeah, again, obviously there's a a lot of uh, a lot of football to be played, and I would be interested to see how a two loss. Wash U would stack up against uh, one loss Framingham. It would be very interesting, and that's when you start pulling in the the you know the different playoff criteria. And is, is that the first mentioned week six playoff criteria? Well, or have we talked about? I don't know. It's a good question. We've talked. Of, we I don't know. Good point. We we talked like insanely early, like in week one's podcast. I I threw something I about the playoffs that. in there. Remember. I do remember that actually. In, in any case, you know, you 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 wonder how the the two lost teams and one lost teams would compare from different conferences, and because you know Pool B has opened up a little bit with uh, with the the conference changes that you talked about, Pat. The three bids is is much more interesting, and it create I think it creates an opening for uh, for you know the Texas Lutheran type of team or or you know whoever finishes uh, strong in the SAA and, and that that SAA that race you know, is actually could play a big part in it because if those three teams, Millsaps, Rhodes, and uh, and Center beat up on each other, um, you know, then maybe that opens the door for a WashU team with two losses. So uh, this is, again, as as we said earlier in the podcast, you know, now's the t- time of year where you pay attention to your own conference, but you have to start paying attention to all those different puzzle pieces around the country as well. And also, you know, now that we're six weeks into the season, some of the numbers that the NCA crunches in order to uh, in order to, to make up those playoff criteria, they begin to have some actual meaning. So, if you go to say the front page of d3football.com and go to the news menu, then uh, at the bottom of that list is a link called strength of schedule. What that is is it's a running calculation of every in-region result, which is one of the factors that the NCA uses. Um, and it calculates out strength of schedule based on that. For example, we just talked about Wash U. Uh, they have the fifth best strength of schedule in all of Division Three by that metric at 678. Um, Wesley, you know, we talked about uh, how they would be a shoe in basically if if they continued out. They have the second best strength of schedule in Division Three football at uh, 751, uh, just behind Wisconsin Stout who's played a couple of non-D3 games that don't factor into this, but their three D3 opponents have a 760, get them to a 764. Obviously, that's not the whole uh, That's not the whole thing. That's not the whole calculation, but uh, that's one of the key factors. Um, and then I was looking at the bottom of this list er, on yeah. Saturday, Keith, um, you know, talking about, for example, how Heidelberg is just blowing the doors and the windows and the roof off of everybody they're playing, but also... 
Um, you know, they've played by far the, the weakest part of their schedule so far. And they, in fact, uh, through the end of Saturday's games, they have a bottom four schedule with, uh, their, uh, <laughs> their opponents that they've played so far have a cumulative winning percentage of 100. That's not good. It's, it's and not the best. That is expert analysis that you only get here on the podcast. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, there's there's some other teams that are that are in all seriousness walking in in dangerous ter- dangerous territory with the schedules that they play. Uh, Heidelberg is one because you know it has to play Mount Union and also has to play John Carroll now this year, which is that you know looking like trouble, and, you, and you're not going to be able to get in with two losses and a strength of schedule that low. Obviously, those those games will bump the strength of schedule up for Heidelberg, and, and really all that says right now is Heidelberg hasn't played the good teams on its schedule yet. But but you look at um, you know Waynesburg with a loss already down here at two thirteen Oshkosh. You know, in a conference where they're going to have to fight with Platteville and, and Whitewater to, uh, you know, to, to try to get a bid. Uh, and there was one other one down here that caught my eye, Texas Lutheran, that we talked about. Their schedule not very strong uh, so far. They're 209 in strength of schedule, or I guess I shouldn't say, I shouldn't say numbers like that because you'll think I'm talking about the uh, the winning percentage, which is 352. Um, and, and the strength of schedule number is is 383, and the 209 is where they rank among 230 some odd teams uh, in D3 strength of schedule. So anyway, long story short, those teams are um, are, are in dangerous territory, I think, with um, with their schedules, and we've seen it happen you know, in the in the past year where teams that go nine and one but haven't played anybody very good. Uh, Waynesburg comes to mind, Ohio Wesleyan last season, uh, you know, Case Western maybe the year before, uh, where, you know, if, if you don't challenge yourself during the season and you get stuck in a playoff pool where a bunch of other, you know, comparative teams with the same record or, or similar records are, are on the board at the same time as you, you know, you may not get into the postseason. And, uh, you know, that's why I mentioned about Texas Lutheran, as bad as their strength of schedule is, uh, there's no precedent for a team being left out of the of the uh, NCAA tournament uh, when they've gone undefeated in this automatic bid era. And for the person who emailed me, yes, about the 1982 Wabash team, yeah, we get that. They didn't make the playoffs. There have been a lot of unbeaten teams that didn't make the playoffs. There have been multiple seasons in which multiple unbeaten teams did not make the playoffs before we expanded from 8 to 16 and from 16 to 28 and from 28 to 32. Just... Do understand when we talk about Pool B and Pool C, those things started in 1999, so that's why we're that's that defines what we're talking about. Just you know, for the record. Okay. Hey, but if I was Go if on. I was on a team in, that went undefeated, I would still be bitter. How many years has it been since '82? Twenty-seven years. Twenty? No, that's not. Thirty-one, 31 years, years later. Yeah. I'd I'd be bitter too. I no doubt. No doubt. Uh, those, 18, right. those 18 playoffs, man, I can't imagine being on those selection committees, frankly. Uh, you know, <laughs> you think of there were probably in, in, in 1982 and before whatever year it was, we expanded from 8 to 16. Can you imagine how many unbeaten teams there were that were left home? It were probably multiple uh, unbeaten teams, um, you know, fairly frequently. Yeah, true. I mean, D3 wasn't at 244 teams back then. I'm, I bet it was well under 200, but it was still going to be, if, if you're look, I, I don't, I bet it wasn't on the eight to one ratio. Yeah, I wouldn't think so. Uh, I remember, I remember that when, um, 
when we had those final three or four years of the 16-team tournament that the ratio was about 12 and a half or something like that. There was yeah. one playoff spot for every 12 and a half schools. Uh, there were a bunch of conferences in which uh, chalk continued. Uh, we don't spend a whole lot of time on them, but I wanted to kind of look forward to once again uh, where the uh, where the WIAC is headed. We uh, especially if you you know you now talk about or consider Stevens Point in the mix. So if you look at the WIAC standings, um, you know you've got four two and O teams and you got four O and two teams. So we got those three teams that are in the top ten. Oshkosh, Platteville, and Whitewater, whatever order they happen to be in this week's poll. Um, and then Stevens Point, you know, looking fairly decent as well. Um, I wonder if the reason I bring up Stevens Point is because I wonder if one of them, if they might knock off one of those teams before uh, the rest of those showdowns happen. And Stevens Point has Platteville coming to its place on Saturday. Yeah, and Stevens Point has, has been tested this season. Dubuque is, is one of the top teams in Iowa right now, North Central. Um, uh, they they you know beat them by twenty so they played a, a team that that's at least the caliber of of you know maybe Platteville or Oshkosh or Whitewater and, and Pat you you mentioned that split in the conference um, standings it, it's an even more pronounced split when you skip over to overall where uh, you know there are three five and O teams and three O and five teams and Eau Claire Lacrosse and River Falls so I think um, you know it could get interesting if if Stevens Point. Um, ends up being competitive with the top three teams. So those are the conference races, some of which were interesting, some of which are not maybe interesting yet. Keith, what else uh, struck your mind or what other questions do you think we have out of this week? Well, I wanted to ask you what you thought of the the big results in Minnesota this week. Bethel and Concordia Moorhead uh, didn't keep it close as they had last season. And then Augsburg uh, did keep it kind of close at St. John's, but uh, the Johnnies ended up winning. Actually, I'll also talk about the St. Thomas Gustavus game too uh, when we uh, at the at the end of this. Um, so Bethel jumps out and really, you know, takes that game out of uh, out of contention, out of doubt right away. Twenty one nothing before the first quarter is over. Twenty eight nothing shortly before halftime. You know. Bethel compared to last year is certainly a little better and as, as good as Concordia Moorhead had looked over the course of the season, you had to still remember that they lost a bunch of guys from uh, the, from the 2012 team. So it, uh, they, you know, they obviously, they played well early on, you know, they beat St. John's, but uh, you just, sometimes it's kind of instructive to go back and remember what we thought about a team in August. And maybe we thought about uh, them that way for a reason. So um, the thing that's uh, I find interesting here is that you know uh, Concordia Moorhead had some success throwing the ball, which is you know still kind of unusual to think of. But um, you know Bethel just clearly came out charged up and not wanting to let that game come down to a uh, to a last second uh, penalty or fumble or incomplete pass or whatever. Uh, you want to, however, you choose to remember the way the uh, 2012 Concordia Moorhead Bethel game went. Um, so Bethel uh, obviously keeps uh, keeps everything in front of it coming into next week's game. Uh, to talk about the Augsburg St. John's game, I, I think I Keith, I think you paid more attention to that game than I did. I know that um, you know they've played some good games recently too. Uh, and Augsburg had a little bit of trouble hanging on to the football, and the weather here was great on Saturday, so there's no uh, there's no weather issues. There was some weather apparently up in Moorhead, but I'm not sure that that was a factor. 
Um, and, uh, you know, you, we lose five fumbles and you throw two picks. I, and not that, not that Scott, Ayrton Scott lost all of those fumbles, but when you as a team lose five fumbles and, and throw two picks, you're going to give the other team seven extra possessions. It's going to be really difficult to win. Yeah, it's it's almost impossible, I imagine, you know, with seven turnovers. I can't think of a time I've ever heard of a team uh, turning the ball over that much and uh, and managing to win. And Augsburg kept it close, but uh, but St. John's, you know, did what they've been doing this season, which is was win the close games and, and play, what you know, decent defense in the fourth quarter when, when the game was on the line. And, you know, that started back in, the, in that St. Thomas game. I guess it started even before that, but it stood out the most in that St. Thomas game. And, and Pat... Uh, St. Thomas had a had a big, big uh, event on Saturday as well. Yeah, um, and although we don't have uh, the official word, at least as of the time that we're uh, sitting down to do this podcast, every, every the indications that we got, the unofficial indications, I should say, that we got from uh, the Gustavus, uh, the people on hand at Gustavus on Saturday was that Matt O'Connell broke a bone in his leg. It's what it sounds like, or maybe in his ankle. So they are going to, uh, St. Thomas is without the starting quarterback that helped them get to the playoffs last year. Um, you know, they've also been struggling, uh, to run the ball. Brenton Braddock hasn't, uh, exactly been very good hanging onto the football and he fumbled the ball twice on Saturday and, and got, uh, sat for the rest of the game. Um, you know, I, I would suspect that, we're not going to see just one quarterback for uh, St. Thomas the rest of the way. Um, Alex Fenske, you know, did lead a touchdown drive on Saturday, but you know, I'm not sure that that's enough to win him the job outright. Uh, and I really think that uh, St. Thomas is going to struggle a little bit here. They obviously continue to lean on their defense, and the defense has done a good job of uh, of getting takeaways for them. Uh, but you know, man, uh, St. Thomas can't hang on to the football at least it seems not their uh not their not their number one running back um and now their top quarterback is out uh you know i would say that even though we don't know what the poll looks like i suspect st thomas just based on the close score alone even if not all the voters realize that the uh, they might have lost their quarterback for at least the immediate future if not the rest of the season i think st thomas probably takes a couple notches down in the poll this week and you know they got to go to Bethel um and they have to play on grass and it's going to be a a tough uh next seven days for St. Thomas yeah and that Bethel game could be a really really huge game uh you know not just for top 25 but uh but if if Bethel comes out of that thing they're uh they're already in control in the conference and and with another win over St. Thomas I you know I think they'd be the favorite the rest of the way yeah and I think St. Thomas would St. Thomas has to treat this like an elimination game. I don't think St. Thomas. Uh, I don't think we really see a Pool C team that's a team out of an automatic bid conference. I don't really think we see an eight and two team out of one of those conferences get in. So St. Thomas has to treat this like uh, like it's all or nothing. Yeah, because there are, there are so few uh, runner up bids, Pool C bids this season. Yeah, there are just five because of how many because of how big Pool B got because because of all those conferences breaking up. Really, when you think about it, that 16-team NEFC was responsible just on its own for one Pool C bid for basically everybody else for uh from, you know, 1999 to 2012 when you think of the just the the minimal number of times that they took advantage of that extra bid. They were really helping everybody else out. So, now that they've split up, we no longer have that benefit. That's true. All right, you got a question for me? 
I had a had a question for you, sure. Yeah, so Keith, on John Carroll, are you buying or selling? I think I'm buying, and the reason is is uh, I think we've kind of made similar points before. Is you know not that, not just that they have the the quarterback who came in with with a good pedigree and and uh, you know has helped the Blue Streaks put up points uh, this year, 54 last week, 62 this week against Capital and Marietta. But I think it's the defense. They've given up 14 points all season, and uh, most you know Baldwin Wallace scored a touchdown at a reasonable point in the game. But uh, but the Marietta touchdown was with a minute forty left, just to just to ruin the shutout for them. It was already sixty two zero at that point. Uh, I'm certain it wasn't against the starters. It would have been the third consecutive shutout and the the fourth overall for for John Carroll. So I think that defense uh, is really um, shining so far, and uh, you know it, it'll be until November sixteenth where we find out really really. Uh, are they just a, a really good regular season defense, or are they a team that that we could see them do something uh, in the postseason? Because uh, they they play Heidelberg on November ninth, and then they go to Mount Union on the sixteenth. So it'll be a while. But a uh, long answer to a short question on buy. The uh, the thing that I found interesting this week about that whole uh, that whole grouping is actually about the Mount Union game. Um, you know. You you look back at the stats, and if if, if you if we talked about this a couple years ago, uh, if a, if a guy who was projected to be the Mountain Union number one running back got you know one or two carries in the course of the game, we'd probably just think that Larry Karras was saving him for the postseason. But you know, Germany Woods just basically looks like he does not have it in him this year. I don't know if it's the year off because the Ohio Athletic Conference has a as an in conference transfer rule, and he had to sit out twenty twelve, or you know, if the fact that that in- he he can't work behind that incredibly uh, and completely retooled offensive line, but it's just it's it's really bizarre what's happened to him this year. Well, it, that's Mount Union though. There's always somebody waiting in the wings, and if you don't perform, you know there's a Mason Minnick or there's a, there's a name a name I haven't seen before. A guy who got 12 carries today and Logan uh, Nemeth, I guess you'd pronounce his name, and I don't know. You know how many of those carries? I didn't look closely at, at the game itself or the score, but maybe a bunch of those carries came late in the game. That was a blowout. But, but uh, you know, Mountain Union, when you bring, you know, probably more than 150 guys to camp and you have competition at every position, you really do have to perform, uh, or, or else you know you, you're going to get you're going to have fewer carries and uh, or, you know you got to stay healthy too. Injuries can can knock you out of your your job just as quickly. Ask me how I feel about Merchant Marine. How do you feel about Merchant Marine, Pat? I am so frustrated by this situation. Here's another thing that about this craziness that came to mind. First of all, um, you know, it basically looks like we know already that Saturday's game against Springfield, which Merchant Marine was going to be hosting, is not going to happen. Uh, the entire campus is shut down for the whole week. There was a note from the uh, superintendent, uh, whatever some of the top leadership of the uh, Merchant Marine Academy would be. Uh, so basically, with campus closed, people not there, you pretty much write off Saturday's game as well. So then it got to thinking, you know, there was some discussion on Twitter on Saturday, you know, what are you guys doing? Because there's not much that we can do. Uh, you know, we don't have the uh, the 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 reach that Sports Center does. Uh, but nobody's talked about what the NCAA might do, for example. Try to loop that into the conversation a little bit. And then it got me to thinking, it's like, well, you know, in a situation like this, 
the NCAA could just grant an extra year of eligibility to all those guys and they could play another season. But then of course, you know, this is a, this is a a service Academy. They're not going to stick around for another year. There is no provision for, you know, taking a a couple of grad classes or ballroom dancing in the fall and, and playing one more year of football. There's really not a whole lot that can be done here at this point, Uh, not by the NCAA. certainly not by us. And unless somebody like uh, ESPN wants to get on this story and give it the 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 loud noise that it deserves i'm not sure what else uh, goes on besides trying to fix things in washington yeah you know we we can't uh, get congress in a room and, and get them back together and get this thing rolling again but you know pat those guys they're not in class either so maybe they will have to come back uh, you know if this ends up being an extended absence maybe they'll have to finish up uh, some of their their work in the fall, and they'll end up ha- having to play again next season. But Pat, you're right there. It really is just a, a a bad story all around because, as we mentioned last week, it's it's not even if you the Merchant Marine guys are at peace with it, they, which they I don't come think they are, it. by the way. Right, but but if at some point they come to grips with it, you're still going down the schedule every week and knocking a team that is not at peace with it taking a game away from each team in the Liberty League as you go down the schedule you throw the whole standings out of order and uh, you know it was kind of savvy uh, what Rochester and Alfred State did this week to get a game in Rochester won I think 38-12 and you know for Alfred State hey they, they lost big but at least they played and Merchant Marine can't say that and we don't know when they will be able to say that more than halfway through the season, I know we've talked a lot about surprise teams, Keith, but uh, as as the weeks go on, obviously we keep getting uh, more and more results. And is anything uh, is there a team that uh, sticks out at you, something that's surprising you perhaps that we haven't talked about already? Well, I, I, sh- I don't know if, if there's anybody that we haven't talked about already, but I, I, Pacific is the one I'm really curious about because they crushed Puget Sound, which we expected uh, to go to five and zero this week, and now it gets really interesting for them. It's at Pacific Lutheran, then they they play Chicago, play Lewis and Clark, and then Willamette and Linfield. And I just can't tell from from the five games they have so far to date, uh, are they going to be competitive with the likes of Pacific Lutheran, Willamette, and Linfield, uh, or, or is this five and zero start going to end up as a seven and three or six and four season? Well, and when I said someone we hadn't talked about, I just meant someone we hadn't talked about uh, in the course of this particular podcast. So you're, I, I think you're good there. Not a problem. Uh, and I agree. Uh, obviously, you know, Pacific uh, got a couple votes from us last week. They were all gaga that they got votes from the AFCA the, the week before. But yeah, the the honest truth is uh, I think Adrian is the best team that they've played uh, You know, pretty significantly. And they have the, the tough teams in their conference yet on their schedule. But, you know... There's something to be said for taking care of business uh, and beating those uh, those lower-level teams in the conference handily, and they've certainly done that. Um, we'll take a quick run through the triple take, see how we did in our predictions uh, from Friday. Uh, game of the week, Ryan's take. Ryan Tips took tw- uh, Thomas Moore at W&J. Uh, I mean, you know, it wasn't overly competitive, but that's that that the fact that it wasn't competitive i think made it uh, one of the more interesting things that happened on saturday yeah i guess that ends up maybe he just put it in the wrong category maybe he should have picked that as his top 25 upset indeed uh he picked well we'll get back to that later uh i took bridgewater at hampton sydney uh it seemed like uh, after hampton sydney returned the opening kickoff this almost wasn't so much of a game no nah, it wasn't uh bridgewater went i think in two weeks now they've gone from 
we think they might win the conference to I have no idea what they're doing, you know, competitively. 28-7 was the final there. And uh, you picked that redlands Cal Lutheran game. And, and it turned out to be a, a defensive struggle. Uh, Cal Lutheran didn't even get on the board till the uh, fourth quarter. And uh, so now Redlands is, is, is the team to beat in the Skyac. I think that's kind of interesting. Surprisingly close. Buena Vista at Wartburg was Ryan's pick. Uh, indeed, uh, Wartburg won by just 8-37-29. Uh, I took the St. Thomas at Gustavus game. Uh, obviously not thinking that uh, St. Thomas might end without its starting quarterback, but uh, that it still might be a close game anyway. And, of course, that ended up being an eight-point game as well. Uh, Trinity at Tufts. Uh, I know that that Tufts scored early, but I think that was it. It was embarrassingly not close. Um, I give you and Ryan a point. Buena Vista led in the third quarter uh, of that game, and uh, obviously St. Thomas at Gustavus was surprisingly close. Injury or not, 20-12, to I would not have expected most likely top 25 team. Uh, let's just skip this. Uh, there's <laughs> nothing good we can say about any of that. This is a tough category to pick, though. I've got to be honest with you. We're, we're, you know, when we're doing that, at least when I'm doing that, I'm looking for who's the team that's in the top 25 that's not on my ballot. You know, who, who, where do I think the other 24 voters have gone wrong here? Um, and we didn't really have a whole lot of opportunities this week for, uh, for someone like that to lose. I, you know, uh, Lyco Lebval, obviously that was a, a game someone could have picked and been correct. We mentioned W&J Thomas Moore. And, uh, yeah, there was those. I, yeah, I try to stay out of the low the low 20s, too. If it's, it's too easy, if it's right? Slim Pickens or the top 25 matchups, although uh, that's a, I, who we ended up picking. Pat and I both picked Bethel against Concordia Moorhead, and Ryan picked Whitewater. Um it, it can be tough when you have like Wittenberg against Denison and and Johns Hopkins and and all these teams that are dominating their conferences in the middle of you know, Hobart's games and you know you know unless unless you see a team on the rise that's about to play one of those teams it, it's very tough sometimes to find a top twenty five upset and uh, you know this week we really just had the uh, we had some upsets across the land but really just the Thomas Moore and and the like I mean so twenty three and twenty four going down and maybe we should have looked lower. They'll be on your radar. If the goal here is to pick teams that win, uh, that's a clean sweep. Uh, Ryan took Maryville of Tennessee, which beat LaGrange. As he said, it's a very winnable game for Maryville if they can shore up their defense. They gave up 35, but LaGrange throws the ball over the lot. Uh, We talked about Wash U. Um, They're certainly on the radar. Uh, They could have been on the radar for the wrong reason on Saturday, but with the the Hail Mary from uh, Hendricks at the end of the game, uh, Wash U uh, brought the player down one yard short of the end zone. And then Gallaudet beating Norwich. Yeah, and then that was a game where uh, Gallaudet jumped out in front and um, and had to hold on. You know, Norwich stormed back and, and almost had a chance to win that game. Not quite in the manner that Hendricks did, but uh, they made it interesting. Uh, minus a half a point for, again, mispronouncing Gallaudet. Uh, I thought you would maybe let it slide. <laughs> I noticed that I did it, but I was not going to bring it to the attention of the listeners. But hey, uh, thanks for doing that. If I have to go to the trouble to transcribe this section, I'm at least going to make it interesting. Uh, celebrating the red, Wabash Cortland both won uh, that Augsburg St. John's game. You waffled nicely down the middle, but the uh, maroon team lost and the red team won. Yeah, see, that's what, if you if you play the fence, you you always get it right. Uh, under White, uh, Rose Holman, which defeated Bluffton. That was Ryan's take. Mine was Bowden. 
Uh, Bowden did beat Hamilton, but just by 6-27-21. That's one of the longest trips in the NESCAC. Uh, the, for Hamilton to go from uh, from New York all the way to uh, uh, basically Portland, Maine. I know where Bowden and I was just there for basketball last year. Uh, that's a pretty long trip. Uh, Keith's take was Shenandoah and Guilford. Those are, I just I don't think of those teams as white. Yeah, well, somebody has to wear white. The road, the road whites. <laughs> okay, all and, right. And that one, uh, Guilford won that game, fifty-six twenty-nine. It was not close. Um, how about that? Guilford is is uh, right around the top of the ODAC with uh, Hampton Sydney and Randolph Macon. How about that? And then the like old times, <clears throat> right? Like just like nineteen ninety-seven or something, right? No. Something like that. Yeah, maybe. Um, and the blue, Hartwick. Hartwick lost. Merchant Marine, that was my pick because I don't want to let two or three days go by without uh, moaning about Merchant Marine and then University of Rochester. So Hartwick lost. Merchant Marine, you know, and then Rochester won. Yes, but uh, if, I guess if you could pick your opponent every week and <laughs> <laughs> schedule yeah. them with a, a couple of days' notice so they don't have any uh, any video of you or any tendency report on you, and then you win, uh, that'd be the ideal way to do it. <laughs> I got an email from uh, someone in the Rochester Alumni or Boosters. I what day it was? Was it actually even last Saturday? Um, saying that I'm I'm hearing that. Rochester's going to schedule somebody. They're going to schedule a, a, a different team so they can have a, a team in for homecoming. And, you know, immediately I thought Alfred State because I don't know who else in that part of the country has games to give. Uh, so uh, at the very least, Alfred State might have had eight days notice, but it's not the same as, uh, you know, preparing for a team and collecting film on a team all season long. It's true. It must have been an uh, interesting experience for both sides to do that on short notice. But again, at least they got to play. And, and there's no complaints from the teams that had games on Saturday or the fans that got to go to them or, or whatever the case may be when you got a, a team that, that's kept off the field for you know artificial, controllable reasons. Coming up next week, week seven, run down some of the key matchups in Division Three football, we've got Louisiana College at Mary Harden Baylor. Keith, I, I know that uh, you know Louisiana College had to battle back to beat East Texas Baptist on Saturday. Do we think Louisiana College has a chance at uh, at really challenging in this game? No. Okay, moving on. St. Thomas at Bethel. We've talked about that game. Uh, whoever plays quarterback for St. Thomas and wherever St. Thomas ends up uh, being ranked, whether it's seven or eight or something, uh, you guys know. Uh, we do not at this point. A couple of the games are interesting uh, matchup-wise in that uh, WIAC group of three. Uh, we mentioned already Platteville goes to Stevens Point. There's a Friday night game in Whitewater in which Whitewater hosts Wisconsin-Eau Claire. That's the one reason why I spotlighted it because it's on Friday. If you guys uh, who are you know, watching your own games on Saturday want to get a look at what Whitewater looks like this year, uh, you can watch that game on Friday night online. I'm, I'm pretty sure they're still doing video streaming. And I watched a, the third quarter of the Stout-Whitewater game on uh, Fox Sports North on Saturday. And that was not the most interesting quarter to watch, although Whitewater looked pretty good offensively. Uh, Wesley at Rowan. We kind of actually touched on that game a little bit as well because it's Wesley's last big test as a Division Three opponent and Rowan coming off of the loss at Morrisville State, which you can probably hear in my voice, still somewhat astonished by that. 
Uh, Heidelberg at Otterbein. So this is Heidelberg's first reasonable test of the year, and we get a Heidelberg versus St. John Fisher comparison point out of that game. Keith. Oh, because they each played Otterbein. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Ah, I get you now. It took me a second. Uh, we're just we're just recording really late, and we're starting to get uh, we. I'm speaking for both of us. I think I'm starting to get a, a little loopy. It's an hour later for you, so I certainly understand that. Um, this uh, portion of the podcast is brought to you by Diet Coke. Uh, Dickinson at Johns Hopkins, Pacific at Pacific Lutheran, uh, Dubuque at Co. Uh, uh, there was a question. Uh, Justin Spalding, former uh, Dubuque player of some uh, renown. Uh, asked on Twitter earlier or late late in the week last week, do you think that uh, Dubuque? Do you think that Dubuque wins out and wins the Iowa conference? And, and my response was, you know, basically, I don't think anybody wins out in that conference. I don't think the conference winner is unbeat is unbeaten in the conference. And for Dubuque, uh, this is a this is a good test for them. Yeah, it's, it's kind of weird because they arrived. A couple years ago, under Stan Zwiefel, um, nine and two, and and then you know backslid last season, not just a five and five, but four and three in the conference, and then kind of written off uh, at the beginning of this season. Not a team that we took all that seriously, but the way they went out and scheduled three uh, three WIAC teams, I think prepared them pretty well uh, for the conference. And even though they only went one and two. Uh, against those guys, uh, they they've off to a pretty good start, beating Central and Luther so far. We'll see just how good they are. Cohen, Warburg, and Simpson the next three weeks. St. John Fisher at Salisbury. That's a game that uh, we probably circled pretty strongly at the beginning of the season, where the Lusters come off it a little bit, uh, but Salisbury's kind of bounced back a little bit too. Yeah, and and you know they've uh, they were pretty decent on defense Saturday, and that was probably. Uh, their most impressive thing gave up the early score to Buff State, and then uh, Buff State didn't do anything else. Uh, the rest of the day, they ran for 86 or 88 yards total on the day. And uh, we've seen St. John Fisher play some pretty good defense in this so far this season. And so, even though these two teams have had shootouts in in previous years, uh, this one actually could be pretty good defensively. Uh, and rounding out the uh, list of teams who are likely to uh, have been in that top 25 poll, which we released on Sunday night, uh, we have uh, Will Lamett going to Lewis and Clark. Some other games of note, Wesleyan at Amherst. we got uh, Washington and Lee at Randolph-Macon. Trine hosts Adrian. Emery and Henry hosts Hampton-Sydney. Guilford goes to Bridgewater. Hartwick goes to Alfred. Uh, Bethany is at Waynesburg. We have... Uh, we have Maryville at Christopher Newport, and then we have another game here, which I can't uh, I can't read. Oh, that's a uh, Buena Vista at Central. There we go. Um, How you mean? It's my handwriting. You your own notes. Yeah, my own notes. It's like Delaware Valley University at Control. That doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, that's Buena Vista at Central. That should be a, a, a good game as well. And of course not Springfield at the U.S. Merchant Marine Academy. So that is the Around the Nation podcast for the week of October 14th, heading into week seven of the 2013 Division Three football season. Don't forget, uh, coaches and SIDs, get your Play of the Week nominations in by 5 p.m. Eastern time on Monday and uh, nominations for our weekly honor roll, the Team of the Week, by 8 p.m. Eastern time on Monday as well. Uh, you know, we have a post game show will be posted at the bottom of the page here on the uh, daily dose blog. And then it'll be on the front page by Monday afternoon. We'll have around the region columns on Tuesday. Keith will write around the nation, uh, throughout the course 
of the week. And then we will, of course, get you into week seven with Triple Take on Friday and game coverage on Saturday. For Keith McMillan, I'm Pat Coleman, and that's our Around the Nation podcast.